This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello, and welcome to Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio with Megan Barcelia and Christopher Gonzalez. We are determined to get through this book. <laughs> Jumpstart your thinking before at least mid-year, because it was supposed to be, according to the cover by John C. Maxwell, a 90-day improvement plan. We are 14 days into June, and we started in January. Fortunately, though, we are already as deep in as day 76, so we only have 15 to go, starting with day 76. The lightning spark of thought generated in the solitary mind awakens its likeness in another mind. Thomas Carlyle The greatest secret to winning shared thinking is to get the right people around the table. As you prepare to ask people to participate in shared thinking, use the following criteria for the selection process. Choose people who... And here are a bunch of bullet points... First and foremost, desire the success of the ideas. Can add value to another's thoughts. Can emotionally handle the conversation. Appreciate each other's strengths. Understand their place of value at the table. Place what is best for the team before themselves. Can bring out the best thinking in the people around them. Possess maturity, experience, and success in the issue. Will take ownership and responsibility for decisions. Too often we choose our brainstorming partners based on feelings of friendship or circumstances or convenience. But that doesn't help us to discover and create the ideas of the highest order. Who we invite to the table makes all the difference. Write a list of people you usually bring to the table to help you think. Or, if you've not engaged in shared thinking before, make a list of people you would like to include. Now rate each person against the nine characteristics in my list. Give a point for each yes. This will help you see which people will be assets in shared thinking. Choreography comes to mind with this one. Um, I think it's very important that co-choreographing people are on the same page and have the same idea of where they want something to go. Now, how they get there is what I think makes the strength or weakness of the experience. Um, I definitely like the idea of adding on to what somebody has, like a couple, say someone throws out eight counts and you can play with that and then add on to it and then you give it back to them and then they give it back to you with more counts and you kind of go back and forth a little bit. I know it's it's really intimidating for me and really challenging when someone throws out 32 counts to what we were planning on a 32 count dance because then... It's a matter of, okay, what do I tell them to strip? They have a dance. You know, so it's like, where is my contribution in that? Or vice versa, I would feel bad throwing out a 32-count dance and having them in that predicament. So I, I certainly like the building on each other's thoughts more than, here, here's what I have. Tell me what you like. 
um, emotionally handle the conversation can be extremely tricky depending on who you're choreographing with and how you speak to them. Um, it's really important for me to understand why someone may not like a certain move or not be able to do the certain move more than just a, no, I'm over that. Or no, I don't like that. Tell me why. Is it, you know, you've seen it in too many dances? Is it, we use it too much already in this dance? Uh, does it feel funny? You got to give me some, something to understand, to grasp on. Um, because for me, choreographing is very personal and very expressive. So there's that. Um, appreciating each other's strength. I think that's huge. Um, knowing, you know, that other people have different styles than you and appreciating what they can bring to the table. Um, as well as understanding what you can bring to the table. It can be very intimidating to work with someone with so much years of experience. However, it's also a matter of you're another pair of eyes, you're another body, you're another pair of feet, you're another pair of hands that might have a different point of expression than that particular person, and so you can add value to it. Um, you know, maturity, experience, and success in the issue, that I think is a little bit trickier when it comes to chore choreography. Obviously, um, to work with someone like Michael, Michelle, Joe, Scott, Rachel, you know, who have all of these years of experience and success and they've figured out a system that really does work for them, you know, someone in my position can certainly gain a lot of knowledge from that. Um, I am kind of the opposite in the sense where I don't have the experience or the success that they do. But I am eager to learn and find my own experiences and success. Um, and as for ownership and responsibility for decisions, I think that I think that's another really important thing to know. Um, I guess along the lines of if you don't have a good experience choreographing or you don't release something, what part of that? is yours to, t to own. Um, same thing with like, if you're, if you release something and you're not pushing it, why aren't you pushing it? Why aren't you teaching it places? Stuff like that to consider. Um, so I think it's really important to like, think about who you're going to choreograph with and why you want to choreograph with them to that particular track and what it is that each of you can gain off of the other to make it a really solid um, partnership. And I think it's also important to be aware that, um, you know, sometimes you're too similar. So it's important to go and do your own things or work with someone else and then maybe come back to working with each other again in the future um, because maybe by then you've each grown enough to have different ideas and be able to express things differently or communicate more clearly and have a more unique style that can add to whatever track you've discovered. As far as getting the right people around the table, I remember 
some number of years ago, I guess about three years ago when I was going on more road trips, thinking there aren't a lot of people who think the same way about line dance things. And even while you've been around these last couple of years, there aren't many people who think the same as us <laughs> uh, regarding line dance things. Finding those people has been uh, rare. And even when we find people who are enthusiastic about what it is that they do specifically within it, they're often very happy just staying there and not road tripping or going to European events or whatever else it is that can be done in the field or thinking of things to create other than just choreography and events, but like maybe mobile apps, like you wouldn't immediately think that you know, mobile apps are an integral part of the line dance experience because it just isn't really in the conversation. Things like that, you know, merchandise and um, immersive environments you know, beyond just walking into a hotel ballroom. Like, what about virtual reality and 360 stuff? And so, yeah, finding people to get around that table... Uh, when when it happens, it's it's exciting, and then, you know, hoping they stick around. Thanks for sticking around. <laughs> Day seventy seven. The strength of the team is each individual member. The strength of each member is the team. Phil Jackson. Successful organizations practice shared thinking. If you lead an organization, department, or team, you can't afford to be without people who are good at shared thinking. As you recruit and hire, look for good thinkers who value others, have experience with the collaborative process, and are emotionally secure. Then, compensate good thinkers and collaborators well, and challenge them to use their thinking skills and share their ideas often. Nothing adds value like a lot of good thinkers putting their minds together. No matter what you're trying to accomplish, you can do it better with shared thinking. That is why I spend much of my life teaching leadership. Good leadership helps to put together the right people at the right time for the right purpose, so that everybody wins. I'm such a strong believer in shared thinking that I engage in that process even when writing a book. My friends and colleagues make me better than I am alone. The same thing can happen for you. All it takes is the right people and a willingness to participate in shared thinking. What specific ways are you realizing that your organization, department, or team needs to add more shared thinking times? What can you do to help make that happen? Well, I think in the overall sense of line dancing, we're pretty good on the shared thinking. I, I, I believe that we have a really good network of communication of um, feedback and response uh, for events or choreography or teaching. Um, I think we do a, a pretty good job of sharing like what we're teaching in our areas and other people seeing that and trying it out in their particular venues and seeing if that works. Um, I know you've recently spoken with a couple individuals about a specific event and some ideas that you had towards that event um, and how to make it better. 
and possibly more engaging. Um, and I, I think that's that's something that's nice. I would love for there to be more of a shared community thinking for local bar venues to kind of be on the same page. Like, I like the idea that um, everywhere has their own unique thing. But for instance, I think it's kind of cool how recently, at least, I've noticed some, some, very few, but some overlap teaching between uh, Southern California uh, in Stonies and Sacramento, Davis area, and even in Reno. I just wish there was more overlapped teaching. I think it would be really cool if at least once a month there was the same lesson taught all over. I think that would be really cool and neat, especially when you're bringing in new dances. And I think it would also be really fun, for instance, if you took some of the instructors in LA, some of the, you know, Cat and Carrie, um, Sacramento Davis area, and Dustin from Reno, if they were in their own kind of, um, I guess, group chat, you could say, and each each one got a turn throwing out a dance to teach every month or whatever, and they just rotate who gets to teach, you know, who who gets to throw out the dance that everybody teaches that month and not like oh yeah we're all going to teach dizzy every single week no just at least one point during your monthly schedule for the month of july everybody teach dizzy so that at least somewhere along the lines um there's that unification and that also means that the crossover makes it so much easier for other people to travel too um, and know some more dances in the area because I know San Diego being even as close as it is to LA has so many dances that they don't, that they do differently than LA. And then we're, you know, another seven, eight hours North of that. And then, you know, another three or four hours away from Reno from us. So it's like, you know, there's so much space and if everybody could get in on this, then at least there'd be that little bit of shared community. As I know, I get really, really excited when I see a couple people that I got the pleasure to work with at Stagecoach talking with Dustin in Reno via Facebook and Kat in Sacramento. So I wish that there was just more of that, that same kind of overlap uh, fortunately for you and me, we travel to so many circuit events and a lot of dances are done and taught that were done at the last one we were, we were just at. So we get that unity and that unification and how it really does create, um, a more welcoming environment and a fun place where people can go and like you know at least a couple of the dances and feel confident that you know not only are they getting the experience of learning from these choreographers and these professional instructors but then they get the social fun too from everyone all over the United States because you know they've taught that lesson at a couple different places throughout the year 
Um, and I think that's something that shared thinking might go a little bit longer with the, uh, or a little bit farther with the bars. And then if we could get the bars a little bit, they're doing really good right now, I think in California at least, of bringing in some of the circuit world. So there's a little bit more crossover that way. Um, I think they're doing a really good job of that right now. I would love to see some of the more popular bars dances done at the circuit too. I mean, I know we do watermelon crawl. Thanks, Joey. Um, but I think having one or two of those classic staples done at the event, I think showdown, didn't we do tush push? I believe it was showdown. So it's like, I like the idea of having a little bit more of that. We're one big world as opposed to here's the circuit world. Here's the bar world. So what are your thoughts? Well, two of the points that stuck out for me in the paragraph, um, the first paragraph, were compensate good thinkers and collaborators well and challenge them to use their thinking skills and share their ideas often. I do like every once in a while when like a survey or a question of some some kind comes up on Facebook and you get a lot of people responding to it. And that's, that's what I thought of with the uh, challenge them to use their thinking skills and share their ideas often. So... World Line Dance newsletter, as well as your survey questions, both prompt people to think about the choices they make regarding like what they learn, why they learned it, uh, what the context was, what made it fun, what they would recommend to others. And I think something that could be a fun challenge for people, in addition to the the challenge that we have, which is finding floor splits. Uh, for dances that not, maybe not everybody would know, but that you know beginners would want to dance to in some way, even if it's uh, just to something they already know, like Rio or Mama Maria. Uh, in addition, it'd be interesting to see as a way of kind of delimiting people's thoughts, what song changes could be possible for certain dances or you know vice versa, what dance changes could be done for certain songs. Because I really like the way Dizzy fits with Bring Down the House. And generally speaking, I like to keep it, you know, one dance per song uh, so that you give people an opportunity to really specifically express a song with whatever dance they come up with for that song. However, that is a very phrased song. Like there are tags and restarts and all kinds of things that I I think you don't need when you do dizzy to it because it just hits in different places in interesting ways. So having more options like that um, can still help you feel the song by dancing something to it and those kinds of things you might not come up with on your own you might not have originally gone straight to dizzy that one's easier because they say stuff like a um, tilt a whirl and room spinning round or something like that so you think okay so we're doing a lot of turns what dance has a lot of turns dizzy but you also don't want to get stuck in one possible dance for that song. For example, as we learned at Stagecoach, 
Uh, we know Kevin Richards' version of, or his his title uh, dance is Country Girl Shake It For Me. And in SoCal, a lot of them do Shake It For Me, or Country Girl Shake. In Davis, they do Shake It For Me by Larry Bass. And we're so used to just doing our version, you know, the Kevin Richards version of Country Girl Shake It For Me, that we pretty much stopped there. We just we just figured, well, I mean, we could do any of these dances. We could fit in with the majority and do Country Girl Shake. It takes, like, no time to pick up on the floor. But we like the way that this one hits. So, done. No more looking. And then somebody plays a remix version of Country Girl Shake It For Me with Shake That by Eminem featuring Nate Dogg and other people. And, like, well, well we, we do have fun go mad to that song. And even that's a song change. So now we're doing... At Stagecoach, have fun, go mad to a song that's part country girl shake it for me, but also part shake that. And it's like, wow, this hits in other places still. What else could we do to this song? <laughs> like, you you find a nice comfortable spot and you just you just dance whatever song changed dance to that song, and then you stop looking. But like, what if you did learn? a whole bunch of different dances, and, and like with the mashup, one song, and we were dancing 11 different dances at some point during those three or four minutes. And they all hit interestingly in their own way, at their own point in um, in that song. Uh, in Reno, they do two different versions of Timber. On Sidewalls, they do... On, I know on Alternating Walls, they do the um, Eric Le Cardinal and Audrey LeBlay version that we know. And then on the other two walls, they do a version that I don't know. Uh, but that's interesting, like that you can hop back and forth like that. That happens a lot with things like... Uh, I remember this happened at Novi while I was in Reno. There was some dance that... There was some song where they were dancing Mbop and Sweet Sensation. One group was doing Mbop, one group was doing Sweet Sensation. Of course... Neither of these dances were choreographed to that song because they weren't playing I Want Candy or Mbop. So it was a song change either way for both of those dances. And I know both of those dances. So I was going back and forth about every however many counts. Just uh, deciding, okay, well, we're on this wall now. I'm going to do Sweet Sensation. Just like cutting from one dance to the other. And that's interesting and fun and breaks you out of your normal rut. And it's those kinds of things that other people, as I mentioned, can really help you with. Because with line dance especially, it's very easy to go into autopilot and not think about other possibilities. And again, repeating what it says in this paragraph, um, challenge people to use their thinking skills and share their ideas often. I would like to see a lot more of that. What dances could fit with this song? Even if you've been doing some dance forever to that song, like Tush Push and Fireman. I've seen a lot of people associate Tush Push and the Fireman like, well, that's just the classic song that you use for Tush Push. But apparently there is a, there is a dance called The Fireman that was done in the Bay Area ages ago, I guess. And it's in my list of dances to learn because it was made specifically for that song and it's not like tush push is going to run out of songs like we do what was i thinking which then simon comes along and does thinking country too and 
it's like, okay, well, if we're if we're doing the fireman to the fireman and thinking country to what was I thinking, I guess we'll do any of the other eighty or ninety or thousand songs that we could do for Tush Push instead of those others. A lot of possibilities with that one. And see, with Tush Push, it's easier to think about their bean possibilities because the title and the movements don't seem like they're really made for anything in particular. So you just take for granted that that's one that you could song change. Dizzy, we've seen happen a lot with uh, in, in Sonoma County, Mbop, Sweet Sensation, MIB. But there are also other ones like more complex dances that you wouldn't think should go with anything else because they fit so well with their original song or they only lived in the, in the dance world long enough to be done with that song. Like boys like you, for example, boys like you was done in the circuit to the song boys like you and then stopped being played. But who's to say that that couldn't come back someday with a song change. And then we have Megan's example as uh, she's whispering Poetry in Motion, which I much prefer to the Eagles track, uh, Hotel California, the live version from 1994, uh, Hell Freezes Over, as opposed to the original, which is uh, The Poet by Liberty X and feels too fast for me. It takes somebody to shake things up for you to say, oh, wow, I didn't even know we could mess with that one. And... Hopefully, after enough of people doing that to you, you can start doing it to yourself and start deciding, oh my goodness, like John Hume in SoCal with Powerade. He saw a video of um, us doing Powerade in Northern California on my YouTube and thought, wow, what a neat dance, but I don't know if that song's going to go over so well with our people. Let me find a track that goes well with the dance that is country, so it can be done in country bars, and also has the restart in the same spot, 16 counts in, just on a different wall because the song is different. That is one that I would not have immediately thought of as being a song change kind of dance, but it works so well, having watched his video of it. So shout out to John Hume. That's some some brilliant thinking there. Also, Coastin. When you see Coastin to the original song, it's very proper and you know petite and little cute moves. And then in Reno... They do it to I'm Wearing Black, and now people are like kicking up to the ceiling, and you just get this cathartic experience that the original song wouldn't have given you. Um, I'm hoping that soon I can do the same with uh, Turbo Twang and burn it to the ground, as mentioned in probably previous episodes. Because you listen to the song that originally goes with Turbo Twang, and you think, oh, well, this is very country, okay, it's like traditional line dancing here. And then somebody says, oh, no, let's... Let's try using Nickelback's Burn It to the Ground, a very hard, heavy rock sound for these movements. And then, of course, you know that lends itself to kicking higher and stomping harder and all that good stuff. And it's like it's a brand new dance. But it's still turbo twang. So, yeah, I, I would love to see more people song change options, dance change options, and uh, help me challenge myself to think outside the the usual pairings. Also, there's a bit here, uh, just a much smaller thing to touch upon, where they say, compensate good thinkers and collaborators well. Sometimes that can be as simple as just tagging them on Facebook. If somebody has a cool idea, then just give them credit, you know? If, uh, if you know, for example, like let's say somebody does song change something cool and you teach your local group about it, you know, maybe make a little note that, 
yeah, tonight we're going to be doing Powerade, uh, but it's to this song by Big and Rich uh, that, that you know John Hume discovered works really well you know, down in SoCal. So thanks, John. You know, something like that. Like collaboration or not collaboration. Uh, compensation doesn't always have to be like money or breakfast or anything like that. It can just be you know acknowledgement. Any other thoughts on this one before we go into the next? I was just going to shout out to Mark Woodall from Stagecoach with me. He was my buddy on stage during freestyle that we'd be like, okay, what song, what dance can go to this song? Because they were playing so many random different kinds of pop songs and punk songs and rap songs. And so it was a lot of fun for me, at least with him trying to figure out what dances can go to certain uh, songs. And um, I haven't had that as much opportunities with you because we don't do a lot of festivals or anything like that where there's a lot of freestyle or live bands playing. But I do know that we have in the past and had the cheat sheet out and tried to figure out what we know and what's in that beats per minute. So. Day 78. Also, Country Summer is coming up this weekend. If anyone wants to give us free tickets for one or two days of that, and if I'm feeling healthier by then, then, yeah. We can definitely song chain some stuff and tell you how it all worked out. Day 78. It is not the style of clothes one wears, neither the kind of automobile one drives, nor the amount of money one has in the bank that counts. These mean nothing. It is simply service that measures success. George Washington Carver. Now I want to acquaint you with a kind of thinking with the potential to change your life in another way. It might even redefine how you view success. In the 1890s, brilliant young George Washington Carver developed expertise in plant pathology and mycology and became the first African-American faculty member at Iowa State College. He was respected professionally and poised to be rewarded with finances, position, and fame. Yet all of these things he gave up to move to the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, in the heart of the Deep South, where he would be regarded as a second-class citizen. If Carver had focused his attention on patenting his findings or building a business on his discoveries, he could have become a very rich man. But that was never his goal. His ideas... No, it's from The Fiddler on the Roof. Okay. If I were a rich man. Just checking to see that our audience is still awake. But that was never his goal. His ideas proved especially successful at helping poor black farmers of the South and earned him national respect. He spent his whole life focused on unselfish thinking, trying to help others. Carver found more than success. By thinking beyond himself, he discovered significance. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being always looking out for number 1 and 10 being focused on helping others... How do you rate yourself as an unselfish thinker? Write down three examples of where you were unselfish in your thinking and the positive results it netted. I don't like rating myself. Well, one thing I will say about you is that you uh, will wall lead dances or call steps or keep things vanilla even when you would rather be doing the dance itself. So that's definitely unselfish thinking. I noticed that this happened a lot with Can't Walk Away where you know you might want to play with it more or or see what happens if you do less with it and then just like strip it down to like basics or whatever we might do with other dances but because it's ours 
feels like there's a responsibility to help people through it when they might be watching you, one of the choreographers, figuring out how to do it. So for months, I would notice that you would put their learning above your playing, which I don't I mean, Maybe it was fun anyway, because you just liked the dance as it was and it didn't need modifications. But I know that after a while of doing the same dance, it, it does um, make one want to bend it a little. And that wasn't something that you were willing to do just for you when you know the greater good was to uh, help others. So there's a starter example. Thanks. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. And then that meant I got to play because you were helping. <laughs> um, I guess it really just depends on the circumstances, where I'm at, what I'm doing... Uh, a lot of times, let me see, let me phrase that 99.9% of the times at Twin Oaks or Hot Monk where I am one of the instructors, it is about everybody else but me because I get the, the added bonus of the feel good when they feel good. So I do get something out of it. It's just not if I was dancing it just for me, um, so I, I certainly think that I do a pretty good job of trying to make sure people are comfortable and happy and having fun and know the dances at those particular locations. When it comes to very, very late night dancing at circuit events, I think I get a little bit more selfish with it. I will try... If someone's trying, if I'm like conscious about someone trying to follow me, I will try and keep things a little bit more vanilla. But when it's four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> that's when I get to play, thanks to Louie and JP. Um, when I'm in the all request room, however, at an event, I will try and make sure I'm in a position to wall lead if need be. Um I love I love the all request room slash beginner rooms because one, you there's just a level of excitement in those rooms that you can sometimes find in the bigger ballrooms, but generally speaking, not the same kind of excitement. And I love grabbing people from the sidelines being like, no, seriously, I promise you can do this one. I'll call it out for you. And I'll walk people through it and then I'll call people, call the dance out on the floor so that people can do it and have fun with it. And um, that is something that I, I love doing because I love the idea of everyone dancing together and having fun. And so that's where it comes down to it is selfish on my point part because I want everybody dancing together but it's selfless because I'm helping others at the same time so I don't know how to rate that really so it goes back to the one of my favorite episodes of friends where Joey and Phoebe have the bet that no selfless action is truly selfless and so that's the only reason why I say that it's because I, I do get something out of all of teaching for other people now, it's a different something than if I was allowed to just play. Um, I do know, I think just recently, oh, it was at the Bay Area Line Dance Connection. I actually got to 
dance, can't walk away without calling anything, which was a very unique experience for me. And I had a lot of fun because I'm pretty sure I broke that dance. Um, and I love it. <laughs> I found a whole bunch of spots where I can play differently. And like you said, sometimes strip things down to the bare bones and sometimes add more. I think I did it at Stoney's too, when there was just like three or four of us in the middle of a bunch of uh, pattern partner dancers on the outside. Uh, I got to play with it a little bit too, because I, I looked around and realized who I was dancing with and knew that they knew the dance. So I didn't have to call anything. So that's, it's a very fun and unique experience for me and very rare. So, um, I certainly know that I, I like to try and do what I can to be a positive influence on people and set the examples in which I like to live my life positively. Um, I know when I'm having a really, really rough time or things aren't going the way I want, I'm having an emotional day, whatever the case may be, I try and take it instead of venting about how abysmal my life might be, I try and take it and turn it into something positive. I try and put out good energy or a positive quote or um, that's where actually where those four survey questions came from a while back was I was not in a wonderful mindset and so I wanted to change that and that allowed a lot of wonderful interactions with many different people that I otherwise wouldn't have. I know I've asked people to send me funny, cute things on Facebook to make me smile. Um, I know that I've scrolled through a lot of negative, negative, negative feeds and decided, okay, I am going to ask a question. Name one thing you're thankful for today and gotten a lot of responses that way because people... They do want to share because they want people to feel like they're a part of their lives and they want to feel like people are a part of their lives and they matter. And I get that. I totally understand that. And I'm not judging it in any way, shape or form because that's, in my opinion, human nature. Um, but I do know that people are also desperate to be a part of something happy. So I would love to try and put that out there for anybody to participate in and anybody to smile on um, because I think we need more positive, happy laughter in the world because there's a lot of stuff that can counterbalance that. And if we don't, if we only focus on one, we're missing the other. And there's been a lot of the negative lately. And so I've been trying to find the positive. Um, one thing I know you specifically are really, really good at, especially at events is stopping by people who are sitting by themselves and talking to them and even asking if there's anything you can get for them, whether it's water or something like that. Um, and you do it for everyone. You do it for Louie and JP and Joe and you do it for the random person from, you know, Texas that you just met, you know, five minutes ago. So it 
you know, really doesn't matter to you a level of status or whatever the case might be for some people who view um, certain instructors or event goers as you are very good at just making people feel welcome and like, you know, they matter. Thank you. Day 79. There is no more noble occupation in the world than to assist another human being to help someone succeed. Alan Loy McGinnis. Unselfish thinking can often deliver a return greater than any other kind of thinking. Few things in life bring greater personal rewards than helping others. Charles H. Burr believed, Getters generally don't get happiness. Givers get it. One of the benefits is that unselfish thinking brings personal fulfillment. When you spend your day unselfishly serving others, at night you can lay down your head with no regrets and sleep soundly. Helping people brings great satisfaction. Even if you have spent much of your life pursuing selfish gain, it's never too late to have a change of heart. Even the most miserable person, like Charles Dickens's Scrooge, can turn his life around and make a difference for others. That's what Alfred Nobel did. When his brother died, Nobel saw his own obituary in the newspaper instead of his brother's. That was startling, but what shook him up the most was the newspaper's statement that Alfred Nobel's company, which produced explosives, had killed, quote, more people faster than ever before. After seeing this, Nobel vowed to promote peace and acknowledge contributions to humanity. That is how the Nobel Prizes came into being. Are you committed to putting others first and to developing and maintaining unselfish motives? Write a declaration of commitment to helping others. Then sign and date it. Is there anything we could do like a Nobel Prize in line dance? I wish. Maybe in the future when we have money. You know, we've actually talked about doing something like a scholarship where people who love the idea of going to every event and teaching in like the beginner rooms to start or anything like that, um, who would, if they had the money, could be supported by the scholarship. I have no idea how much of that sentence made sense. It was very long. But um, the idea would be that the things that we do just by not spending money on other things, they can do by spending money on whatever they would normally spend it on and then having all their other stuff comped. So if there's somebody with a lot of potential in a really niche part of the dance world that doesn't know about line dance yet, but they're very good at choreographing other stuff... uh, they could be introduced to ideas of what line dance is and then you just show them, yeah, the stuff that you do for Zumba, uh, just rearrange that a little bit, make it a line dance and um, come to this event, try out this choreography competition. They might not be willing to do that all on their own dime because they don't even know what line dance is. But if they had a little bit of help, they, they could be a valuable asset to the dance community. And you look at somebody like Jason, who... I mean, if people heard his name before, we just thought of him as like that co-choreographer of Best Mistakes with Jono. But now that he's been to a couple of events and he's gotten the chance to show his personality and his skill at solo choreography and 
carrying his body in really pretty ways. Like um, now that he's out there on his own, people want to see more of him. And just imagine if you know somebody like that is out there still, but is in a field unrelated, like ice skating or roller skating or juggling something i was imagining guyton and his arms and thinking well what that kind of looks like juggling yeah rock climbing that's a good one too so yeah people might be out there in these other fields and don't know about the family and and connection that uh, line dance has to offer but if somebody would be willing to kind of make that transition easier for them through a scholarship or something like that then yeah, we might be able to pull in some really cool people. Any other thoughts before I turn the page? Day 80. He has achieved success who has lived well, laughed often, and loved much. Who has always looked for the best in others and given them the best he had. Whose life was an inspiration, whose memory a benediction. Bessie Anderson Stanley. Of all the qualities a person can pursue, unselfish thinking seems to make the biggest difference toward adding value to others and cultivating other virtues. When you get outside of yourself and make a contribution to others, you really begin to live. I think that's because the ability to give unselfishly goes against the grain of human nature. But if you can learn to think unselfishly and become a giver, it becomes easier to develop many other virtues. Gratitude, love, respect, patience, discipline, etc. Unselfish thinking also increases quality of life. The spirit of generosity created by unselfish thinking gives people an appreciation for life and an understanding of its higher values. Seeing those in need and giving to meet that need puts a lot of things into perspective. It increases the quality of life of the giver and the receiver. That's why I believe that there is no life as empty as the self-centered life. There is no life as centered as the self empty life. If you want to improve your world, focus your attention on helping others. What assets do you have that could be used to invest in another person? What skills do you possess that someone would benefit from learning? What life experiences can be used to help another person? What resources do you possess that ought to be shared? Write out your list. Definitely have a lot of equipment around here, like my mixer, my lights, my amp, Things that I don't really use, but if they were part of like a collective, I think that they could help a lot of people. My 50-foot extension cord. And then there are various things that we're able to teach, like tech help and dance and guitar and whatnot. Um, I definitely agree with the unselfish thinking increases quality of life. Uh, one of the few things that impresses me even further because when she's already so amazing but joe will ask herself what more she can do to make this event better for everyone um she is certainly for anyone who's heard any other podcast we've ever done a huge role model for me and I look at her life and 
I see so much warmth and fulfillment and joy and happiness. And I think that 100% is a direct relation to the fact that she is so giving of herself. And she wants people to enjoy and celebrate life. And she knows that they can have that opportunity to do so through line dance. And it's one of the thousand things that I admire most about her. And I certainly ask myself pretty regularly what more I can do to help, what more I can give, what more I can learn um, just so that I can do more. Um, I know I fell in love with line dancing and I know that in it in itself saved my life in ways that I probably can't even comprehend and I want others to be able to have that same opportunity I have such an amazing family because of line dancing and I have such a purpose in my life and I don't want that to go to waste and because I see that what I've been given was a gift I want to give more I want to give back. I want to make sure that people understand that they are valued and they are needed and they are loved and they are appreciated at these events because I think every single attendee matters exponentially. And I know that if I can do one thing, whether it's lead a wall or sit next to someone or talk to them about their favorite lesson or where they came from even for five minutes that maybe just maybe that'll make them feel more a part of this community and I think this is one of those rare almost underground communities that everyone should be a part of like it's so it's so funny to me that there's so many people in this world that just don't know and yet it's so sad at the same time because they should know. Um, so I think, I think asking yourself what more you can do is a good start. Watching people that give so much of themselves, Rachel will work herself to death for four splits to make sure everybody's out on that dance floor having a blast. She will speed teach just about anything. She will you know, dance a dance and then immediately run and listen to the next like three tracks to figure out what more she can do. Um, you know, one of the, one of my favorite memories was Kat teaching uh, Tush Push in the lobby at, uh, you know, Vegas Dance Explosion. And I mean, even you with your impromptu lesson, I think you were teaching... Was it do your thing at uh, Palm Springs during lunch? Like that's, there's just certain things that having those extra few minutes that I think you can give to somebody else has just really added to an event and added to define people, you know, and in their character. And I think it's all positive stuff, so... Thank you. Day 81. Super long paragraph. 
Learn, earn, return. These are the three phases of life. The first third should be devoted to education. The second third to building a career and making a living. And the last third to giving back to others, returning something in gratitude. Each state seems to be a preparation for the next one. Jack Balusek. Unselfish thinking makes you part of something greater than yourself and creates a legacy. In the mid-1980s, Merck and Company, the global pharmaceutical corporation, developed a drug to cure river blindness, a disease that causes blindness in millions of people, particularly in developing countries where potential customers couldn't afford to buy it. Merck developed the drug anyway and announced that it would give the medicine free to anyone who needed it. As of 1998, the company had given more than 250 million tablets away. George W. Merck said, We try never to forget that medicine is for the people. It is not for the prophets. The prophets follow, and if we have remembered that, they have never failed to appear. The lesson to be learned? Simple. Instead of trying to be great, be part of something greater than yourself. If you are successful, it becomes possible for you to leave an inheritance for others. But if you desire to do more, to create a legacy, you need to leave that in others. Set giving goals for yourself. What can you do to help others that will in no way benefit you other than to give you internal satisfaction? Set an amount of money to give away this year, anonymously if possible. Decide on a number of hours a week or month to serve others. Find a cause that you can help to succeed. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite things to do is to pay it forward. I love randomly buying people's coffee at Starbucks or in the drive-thru line um, at whatever fast food restaurant you're going to and the enjoyment I get out of that. And it's it's so little for me. Buying someone's coffee, you know, five bucks. And it makes their day. I know for me, anytime anybody has ever done that to me, to me, I have been determined to then pay it forward before the end of the day. That is my goal. Uh, especially seeing as I didn't originally pay that money for whatever it was that they bought me. Um, and when you can do that for a complete stranger, I think that makes the biggest difference. And... It has nothing to do with line dance, clearly. And we try and relate most things to line dance. So I guess I can say just pretend it's a fellow line dancer behind you. And maybe you'll be a little bit more inclined to to give a little bit more. Um, but again, it's, a, it's such a great feeling to see the shock on people's face when you offer to pay for their coffee or you offer to pay for their meal or... I mean, I've had people where in the drive-thru, they actually got out of their car, ran up to me, almost crying, telling me how much I made a difference because they had to scrounge to their last penny so that they can get something to eat tonight. Um, and that was a really cool feeling to know that now they have a little, you know, a couple extra bucks in their pocket for one more day. Um so I highly, I highly, highly, highly recommend trying it out. One thing that we've talked about before was the idea that 
even if a person is super inspiring to us, um, <clears throat> becoming like them shouldn't necessarily be your goal. And I think our defense of that being okay was that even if other people are like more local or more convenient and they know a couple dances that you don't, aspiring to be more like them just kind of stops at them. Whereas if you look towards somebody who's like amazing and has all these great character traits in addition to knowing a couple more dances than you, then you're probably going to learn those couple dances and also learn a bunch of stuff that will help you to become like a better servant to the community and human being and all that. However, as I think we mentioned in a previous episode at some point, you can shoot even higher by finding out who they are inspired by. It's the idea of the finger pointing at the moon. Like you don't study the person whose finger is pointed at the moon and say, wow, that's an amazing finger. And they're like, no, 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 you're missing the point. I'm looking at something way bigger. Let's both look at that together. <laughs> so you don't have to necessarily be like the amazing person because they're just human like we are maybe human with more experience at doing incredible superhuman things, but human, they might be looking towards some ideal that doesn't actually exist. Like they might've drafted some version of the perfect person, or maybe they have an idealized view of their own parent or spiritual authority. And that's who they're trying to be like. Well, if you aim even higher than the person that you already thought was amazing, then you could, potentially be the sort of person that the amazing person wants to hang around because maybe someday they can learn something from you. Day 82. People with humility don't think less of themselves. They just think of themselves less. Ken Blanchard and Norman Vincent Peale. Most people recognize the value of unselfish thinking and agree that it's an ability they would like to develop. To begin cultivating the ability to think unselfishly, Put others first. You need to stop thinking about your wants and begin focusing on others' needs. Paul the Apostle exhorted, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Make a mental and emotional commitment to look out for the interests of others. Then, expose yourself to situations where people have needs. To make the transition, put yourself in a position where you can see people's needs and do something about it. Once you do, follow the advice of Todd Barnhart. Act with impact. You've got to give to live. The kind of giving you do isn't important at first. You can make donations to a food bank, volunteer professional services, serve at your church, or, to, or give to a charitable organization. The point is to learn how to give and to cultivate the habit of thinking like a giver. During the coming week, tune your intuitive radar to look for needs in others. What needs do you perceive and feel prompted to help? Don't wait. Take action. I think that's actually really, really important advice. The last little bit about where do you feel a need to help? Don't think about it. Just do it. Um... I think it's really important to listen to that 
quick little instinct as opposed to talking yourself out of it. Um, Because it could be a very simple, nothing kind of act for you, but it could be in the world for somebody else. Um, I don't know. I mean, for the most part, we've, I I feel like I've kind of discussed the topic at quite an extensive length about how it's important to help others and think of others and you get your own enjoyment out of it when you see that because of your help, somebody's happier or they have more knowledge or they're able to participate more and feel more part of the team or anything along those lines. I like what they said about, um, expose yourself to situations where people have needs because it's very easy to just not see it and if you don't see it it's like it doesn't exist would you like to repeat that Go ahead. i said be the change all right <clears throat> so yeah if you if you only see your own problems and the problems of you know the people around you who might not have problems that are entirely unsolvable or for lack of a better term deep uh, then you might think that the worst thing that's happening to you at the moment is the worst thing that could be happening in the universe. Like you don't have something to wear for a theme party you're going to and you think, oh man, I'm going to go and I'm going to totally just blow it socially with all these people who are all going to be in theme and I'm going to look like a jerk who didn't care about it or like I was too cool. or All these things you could tell yourself and you're like, wow, I'm complaining about clothes at a theme party. And I'm not being surrounded by anything worse than this. So the emotional reaction I'm having to it is probably way out of proportion. If you're surrounded by worse or if you do, um, I think Tim Ferriss has talked about this, uh, sort of like a voluntary poverty thing once a month or once a week or however long you want, um, however often you want, then you can see how bad things really can be. And how bad people have it all the time, all over the world. (laughs) And then you will just be so happy to be at the theme party because you have that opportunity that anything else will seem to have any other feeling toward it. You'll have to just kind of forgive yourself for feeling like that and be like, yeah, wow, that was silly, I guess. Um, I mean, not everybody can control their emotions, but maybe it'll help you put things in perspective when you are surrounded by cold and ill health and mental illness and whatever else it is that people have as their reality and can't just choose their way out of easily. Also, regarding the don't wait, take action thing that you were saying, uh, there is something that I like to do every day and I really have to either just not do it at all or do it as soon as I think about it. Because if I say, oh, I'll do it later today, then midnight passes and I lose the opportunity. And really the easiest way to make it happen is just to do it as soon as I think of it. If I wait any longer than that, then later on I'll be kicking myself because it's like, I, I knew I had 20 seconds that I could have taken to do it and I didn't do it. And that's all it would have required so if you do have that little notion 
that you're you're walking along a trail or whatever it is it might be for you and and you want to pick up that piece of litter and it's only going to take you a second just do it if you think oh i'll do it on the way back and then you forget on the way back and you're driving home and you remember then you will kick yourself for being feeling lazy or you know like you you did something way worse than than if you had not noticed it at all all right well, we're about an hour in today, today's episode, and I'm thinking it's a great time for a stretch break for anybody who would like to get up and stretch. I'm going to put on a track that uh, I guess we heard probably within the last week or two. It is the song used for Rosie Moltari's True Love George, and it is Adam Levine, the 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 Way You Look Tonight, which is a cover, and it is his cover of that song. So if you are interested in the dance True Love George and you'd like to to hear a, a track that goes with it, here is The Way You Look Tonight by Adam Levine. We'll catch up with you in a moment. Hello and welcome back to Line Dance Podcast. On Move Radio... With Christopher Gonzalez and Megan Barcelia. And we are continuing with our days of jump starting our thinking <clears throat> with day 83. What seems to be generosity is often no more than disguised ambition, which overlooks a small interest in order to secure a great one. Francois. De la Rochefoucauld. Once you have learned to give of yourself, the next step is to learn to give quietly or anonymously. It's almost always easier to give when you receive recognition for it than it is when no one is likely to know about it. The people who give in order to receive a lot of fanfare, however, have already received any reward they will get. There are spiritual, mental, and emotional benefits that come only to those who give anonymously. If you've never given when you cannot receive anything in return, try it. The hardest thing is fighting our natural tendency to put ourselves first. That's why it's important to continually examine your motives to make sure you're not sliding backwards into selfishness. Follow the modeling of Benjamin Franklin. Every day he asked himself two questions. When he got up in the morning, he would ask, What good am I going to do today? Before he went to bed, he would ask, what good have I done today? If you can answer those questions with selflessness and integrity, you can keep yourself on track. In the morning, ask yourself, What good am I going to do today? And before you... They have a typo here. And before you go to bed, <laughs> ask, What good have I done today? Be honest with yourself in your answers. Make this a habit every day and note how it changes your life. Sorry, I'm currently discussing with my DJ uh, for tonight. Um, I think I think it's a good idea to start with the what can I do today. Um, I haven't actually done that before. I kind of just do it on a whim. It just comes naturally to you. 
<laughs> I wish it came naturally to me. No, it's more along the lines of I'm very aware that the day needs to change throughout the day. So, for instance, yesterday I was approached by several different individuals that were in a rush, were agitated, were aggravated, were not happy whatsoever, and unfortunately, I appeared to take the shape of a punching bag. I couldn't hold it against them because of where I work and what I do. I get it. You're sick. You're in pain. You don't feel good. I understand. <laughs> that goes for you too, sir. <laughs> um, and so I don't, I don't blame them for being that way. So I decided not only to have patience for them, but also to put one of my most favorite quotes on Facebook, which is, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. And they were not in a place in which they could be kind. So I decided that my understanding and my sympathy for them would be the kindness. Same thing with, I know I'd mentioned a while ago, um, people seemed to be in like a rush and they were cutting us off in traffic and just, and it was everywhere all day long. So I was like, okay. Today, I'm going to be more patient. And so it's like, that's, that's when I start to really think about like what good I can do is based off of my interactions with people. Um, certainly not as consistent as a daily routine by any means, but I certainly notice it in the sense of when I need to counterbalance whatever's going on so that I can bring some balance back out there. Um, I certainly look back at night and ask myself what I did and what I could do better. Um, and that's one of those things that's more of a reflective than a take action kind of thing because then I can obviously the next day put that into action, which I have in the past. But uh, for the most part, I just kind of play it by ear and let the the universe tell me when it's time for me to speak up and make a little bit of a difference. Yeah, I have a couple of different modes. Uh, there are probably other ones in between. But there's one that we've experimented with before uh, at different times. For me, it was, I don't know, however many months ago. Setting my alarm to wake up at 6.30... Not having any screens on, thinking about the day, drinking tea, eating breakfast, and then having a real good head start on whatever it is I need to do that day. And then turn screens off at 10, reflect and ruminate, maybe do a little writing, and then go to sleep around 11, get up again at 6.30. Then there's the other mode, where... I wake up minutes before I need to leave the house. Kind of go through the first couple hours of my day on not quite autopilot, but just a sense of, all right, we're getting warmed up. 
and then take a nap during lunch because I probably didn't get enough sleep that night. And then do whatever it is I need to do in the last bit of the day. I feel very happy that the day is complete as far as tasks and responsibilities. And then use the internet till I can't keep my eyes open any longer and then fall asleep at about 2 in the morning. Maybe 3. That's a, a less productive mode. And it's come and gone a lot in the last oh, 8 years or so. <laughs> uh, and the other one's nice. Takes a little bit more upkeep and effort. Uh, I have noticed that on days when I get more sleep and I can be more intentional with my day that I feel like I have more energy later into the day than I normally would. So it's definitely worth considering, like starting your day and ending your day with intent. Good things can come of it. But you also must be forgiving when the other one happens instead. (laughs) Forgiveness is key. Day 84. If you will help others achieve what they want, they will help you achieve what you want. Also, before I go too much farther, also that's Zig Ziglar. um, I like the bit in day 83 about um, examining your motives, kind of meta-thinking. As somebody who took a lot of philosophy classes in college and then ended up getting my degree in it, I like meta-thinking, thinking about what you're thinking and what kind of patterns you have. You'll learn a lot that way. So yeah, day 84... If you help others achieve what they want, they will help you achieve what you want, Zig Ziglar. The highest level of unselfish thinking comes when you give of yourself to another person for their personal development or well-being. If you want to become the kind of person who invests in people, consider others and their journey so that you can collaborate with them. Each relationship is like a partnership created for mutual benefit. As you go into any relationship, think about how you can invest in the other person so it becomes a win-win situation. Here is how relationships most often play out. I win, you lose. I win only once. You win, I lose. You win only once. We both win. We win many times. We both lose. Goodbye, partnership. The best relationships are win-win. Why don't more people go into relationships with that attitude? I'll tell you why. Most people want to make sure that they win first. Unselfish thinkers, on the other hand, go into a relationship and make sure that the other person wins first. And that makes all the difference. Think about a current or imminent professional goal that you would like to make a win-win. What must you do for your part to create that? And what effort will you make to guarantee that the other person wins first? So I think... I'm more guilty of making sure that the other person wins first and not making sure that that other person also wants me to win. (laughs) I think that's my biggest guilt downfall in that scenario. I have a a very long-running history with that particular predicament. Um... And I've been learning that it's also important before getting into that kind of partnership to speak up and make sure both goals are clearly defined 
and understood by both parties. And if we're on the same page, then it's a matter of the win-win. Um, I think for the most part, you and I do a really, really good job of communicating where we want a particular project to go and what contributions we're willing to make towards that particular project. And I think that's where you and I have come up with a really good working dynamic on several different things. And I think having the open communication is what is the most important part of that. Um, As for like steps I'm going to take to make sure the other person wins, I do that pretty naturally. So I don't know if there's anything I can really describe or embellish on that one. About 10 years ago, I read a book on relationships and about being unselfish and making sure that your partner is happy and healthy and all that good stuff. I highly recommend it. It's the first thing that came to mind when they said, and what effort will you make to guarantee that the other person wins first? The title of the book is She Comes First, Day 85. We kept asking ourselves very simple questions. What is our business? Who is our customer? And what does the customer consider value? If you're the Girl Scouts, IBM, or AT&T, you have to manage for a mission. Francis Hesselbane. How do you figure out the bottom line for your organization, business, department, team, or group? In many businesses, the bottom line is literally the bottom line. Profit determines whether you are succeeding. But dollars should not always be the primary measure of success. How would you measure the success of your family or the bottom line of a volunteer organization? Frances Hesselbane had to ask herself exactly that question in 1976 when she became the National Executive Director of the Girl Scouts of America. At the time, the organization lacked direction. Teenage girls were losing interest in scouting, and it was becoming increasingly difficult to recruit adult volunteers. Hesselbane's focus on mission enabled her to identify the Girl Scouts' bottom line. We really are here for one reason, to help a girl reach her highest potential. That enabled her to create a strategy to try to achieve it. In 1990, Hesselbane left the Girl Scouts after making it a first-class organization, having established a bottom line not measured in dollars, but in changed lives. Were you ever a scout? You were never a scout. I was never a scout. All right. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being goalless thinking and 10 being bottom line thinking, how do you rate yourself as a bottom line thinker? Write down three examples of where your thinking was focused on the bottom line and the positive results it netted. Well, I guess when I look at line dancing, I look at the bottom line as everybody having fun together. So I think that's my my overall bottom line goal. If I can achieve that, then I have helped my goal or I've achieved my goal or however you want to word that. Um, So then steps that I can take according to that, you know, it it varies. Sometimes it's just making sure that I'm greeting everybody. Sometimes I'm a wall lead. Sometimes I'm the instructor. Sometimes I'm just the other person on the floor so that somebody can do a dance. And, you know, it's, it really varies. Uh, Sometimes I'm the one suggesting dances for people to learn or, um, 
answering the questions of what dances a place might know, um, it really just varies because, again, my bottom line goal is I want everybody having fun together. And that's why I say, you know, like in line dancing, my two rules are try it and have fun. So I have a hard time defining any other bottom lines, I guess, at the moment. I mean, I guess if you look at like instruction, I would want everybody to learn the dance as the bottom line um, and have fun doing it again. Uh, Same thing with like choreography. I want to have fun doing it and I want to learn something about myself and choreography and music uh, while I'm I'm doing that. So I, I guess those would be bottom lines. I think that's a good way of putting it because the everybody applies to the instructor too. Like if if you want people to enjoy the dance, then really them learning it is only so that they can enjoy it. If you're teaching them something just so you can teach it and it's not really for them to enjoy it, then not many people are going to want to keep taking your lessons. And also if you're teaching something that you didn't want to teach, then you're not going to enjoy it. And they're probably going to pick up on that. So then that would be something to rethink teaching. Or maybe you could delegate it to someone else. Or send them to a video tutorial. Uh, and we've definitely had previous uh, episodes talk about the different ways that everyone can enjoy themselves and uh, how you can help with that. Like whether you're an event manager or an instructor or a choreographer, trying to put in some catchy, fun, weird move that helps them grow. Or like 95% of those moves if you're guiding. Uh, if you're a DJ, making sure that the sound is good and not crackly and weird. Um, and also making sure that the playlist doesn't wipe people out or make them bored. A lot of different ways to do that, but at the end of the day, you want everyone to go in to those few days of dancing or that night of dancing um, with an open mind and then have them come out feeling like they wouldn't have wanted to spend their time any other way. Because really, those days at an event or those hours at a bar are just fractions of their overall life. Like, when you think about, like, what did I do with my life? And you have to, like, break it down into, well, for this many years I was doing this, but then when you break it down even further, it's like, well, there were many days when I would spend it doing this. And I think we've probably brought it up on the podcast before how I had a nightmare some time ago uh, about a bank robbery. And I was trying to think like in those last few seconds, because I knew I only had a few seconds left before the guy found me and like killed me. Uh, I had to think, okay, well, what can I think to bring myself some closure? And my thought was, well, I got some good dancing in. And that made me happy. Like in that moment, like seconds away from being murdered, um, I had to find some way that it was all okay and that I didn't regret my choices. And the fact that I was that content and happy with having gotten in that much good dancing spoke well for when I woke up and decided probably to go dancing within 24 hours. Probably. Probably. Day 86 of 90. We're getting so close. There ain't no rules around here. We're trying to accomplish something. Thomas Edison. If you're accustomed to thinking of the bottom line only as it relates to financial matters, you may be missing some things crucial to you and your organization. Instead, think of the bottom line as the end, the takeaway, the desired result. 
Every activity has its own unique bottom line. If you have a job, are a parent, have a spouse, or serve in your church, you have bottom lines for each activity and relationship. As you explore the concept of bottom line thinking, recognize that it provides great clarity. Bottom line thinking makes it possible for you to measure outcomes more quickly and easily. It gives you a benchmark by which to measure activity. It can be used as a focused way of ensuring that all your little activities are purposeful and line up to achieve a larger goal. It helps you to assess every situation. When you know your bottom line, it becomes much easier to know how you're doing in any given area. There's no better measurement tool than the bottom line. What is your personal bottom line? Why are you doing what you're doing in your career? What are you trying to accomplish in your family life? Can you describe what purpose you believe you've been put on this earth to accomplish? And this one we've definitely talked about in another episode because the idea that came up was um, knowing why you're doing the thing that you're doing can help you kind of broaden your idea of success at that thing. Like uh, the example that we gave in whatever episode it was, was... um, learning late night dances so that people can do those dances and know that somebody on the floor knows them. Like even if it's not your favorite dance, but you think, Oh, well I should learn it just in case somebody else wants to dance it. Then they'll have, you know, at least one person on the floor who knows it to wall lead or to give them a quick run through. Uh, if you learn a bunch of dances like that and then, nobody requests them or nobody wants to do them, you might think that you failed. And you might think, well, what was the point of all that? Like, I just wasted all this time. If that was what your goal was, just to specifically do those dances. But if you are looking at it like, well, I want to learn these dances so that people will be dancing until 6 a.m. And then as it turns out, a bunch of other stuff gets played that you didn't prepare for, but people are still dancing until 6 a.m. Then you succeeded. You were in a room where people were happy it didn't matter which ones you learned, uh, you still got to be part of that environment. So you didn't fail. You just you know, prepared for something that didn't occur. And it's by having that goal in mind of, is everyone having a good time for as long as possible, that you are able to find that success. And you're not, um, you're not pigeonholed into thinking that the only success is well, did they do dances X, Y, and Z? Because if not, then what what a horrible night it was. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you with the understanding why you're doing what you're doing. Um, I, I certainly think that it's important to identify that bottom line. And if my bottom line is everybody having fun together, that's such a broad thing that means that any little possible thing I can do um, can help that and can help achieve that. So that could be, you know, saying hello to the stranger. That could be wall leading. That could be teaching. That could be requesting a dance. That could be dancing it with someone. That can be, you know, making sure the DJ knows what song to play with a particular track, depending on the venue you're at. Um you know, that could be just inviting someone to sit with you. I mean, there's so many different things that can pertain to that. Um, that I think you pretty much covered it with just the idea of like understanding why you're doing what you're doing. 
Day 87. A small body of determined spirits fired by an unquenchable faith in their mission can alter the course of history. Mahatma Gandhi. When the Girl Scouts were struggling in the 1970s, outside organizations tried to convince its members to become women's rights activists or door-to-door canvassers. But under Hesselbane, it became easy to say no. The people in the organization knew their bottom line and wanted to pursue their goals with focus and fervency. Bottom line thinking helps you make the best decisions. Bottom line thinking also generates high morale. When you know the bottom line and go after it, you greatly increase your odds of winning. And nothing generates high morale like winning. Sports teams that win the championship or company divisions that achieve their goals or volunteers who achieve their mission get excited. Hitting the target feels exhilarating. And you can hit it only if you know what it is. If you want to be successful tomorrow, you need to think bottom line today. Bottom line thinking ensures your future. Look at any successful, lasting company, and you'll find leaders who know their bottom line. They make their decisions, allocate their resources, hire their people, and structure their organization to achieve that bottom line. Give some thought to your career, family, recreation, service, and life purpose. Work to write succinctly your bottom line for each. Then use these statements as your guiding principles for decision-making. It's a tough one when so many of these are so similar to the day before and we've pretty much covered them. Family would be interesting to hear about because you have more of an extended family than I do. Have you ever talked to them about getting into line dance or or how do you figure them into your thoughts about line dance i don't figure my family into line dance my family doesn't okay let me rephrase that my cousin understands (laughs) line dance the rest of my family doesn't get it um it's a hobby to them that should not take as much time money or thought process as it does in my life um, my cousin understands a little bit more just because she like she enjoys line dancing and she's gone out for years with me. Um, she's one of the few people that got me back into line dancing. I just didn't think I don't think she was prepared for how into line dancing I was going to get. Um, and then the only other person that really kinda understands is my grandmother. And mostly because my grandmother understands how happy I am right now. And she wants me to be happy. Not that my other families don't, but like that's where she's made it perfectly clear in our relationship. um, That she's so glad that I found something that makes me this happy that she wants me to keep going and keep doing it. Um, Whereas my other family thinks that it's getting in the way of other things. So I really don't talk to my family about line dancing because they don't get it no matter how many times I've tried I mean my mom has come out and watched us line dance before when we were doing the one over in Rinkin Valley I can't even think of what that one was called now I think Lakeside yeah I think they're right Um, she's gone out a couple times and she's enjoyed it and she enjoys watching me dance but that's kind of the extent of it Um, I don't think any of them really understand how much I want this to be be a career for me because of how much I love it. So, well, that covers two of these points: career and family. I think you already mentioned 
recreation because it's a hobby and and service and as far as life purpose goes what would you say line dance does to help you fulfill your life purpose I think I think this is going to sound not as clear as I want it to in my head um (laughs) I think when it comes down to it, I am a very passionate and expressive individual. And I feel very strongly that people need to feel a part of something. They need to feel a part of something bigger, something greater, something that can be hard to put into words other than the fact that you know, I'm a part of something bigger than myself. And I think line dance not only allows me to feel that, but by doing anything I possibly can, whether it's just exposing people to videos, teaching them, in introducing them to other dancers or helping them find classes in their area or introducing them to some of the choreographers I've met or the instructors that I've had the pleasure of taking classes from, um, anything along those lines, I think has helped me fulfill the idea that my life purpose is to help others and to make a difference in people's lives in a positive way. And I think line dance is the perfect tool for me to be able to do that because line dancing is bigger than oneself because it's everyone on the floor, but it's also very personal and very individualized as well because how you connect to the song and the dance is going to be completely different than the person next to you, but you get to share that together in the same way. And I find that a lot of people have who are in line dancing have told me that their life is better because of line dancing. It's a very empathic form of dance because everybody's going through the same stuff you are, same steps, same song, and afterwards, you know that you had a similar experience, and it's difficult to find that uh, unity in a lot of other activities, but where you can have hundreds of people all doing it at the same time. Even with singing, there can always be that one person who just is lip syncing and pretending to participate, like with the national anthem, a lot of people, you know, whatever the feelings are. And with dancing, you can look around and know if they're not doing it. <laughs> they're very clearly doing it or not. Day 88. Set yourself earnestly to see what you were made to do. Then set yourself earnestly to do it. Phillips Brooks. It isn't hard to see the value of the bottom line. Most people would agree that bottom line thinking has a high return. But learning how to be a bottom line thinker can be challenging. The process begins with identifying the real bottom line, knowing what you're going after. It can be as lofty as the big picture vision, mission, or purpose of an organization, or it can be as focused as what you want to accomplish on a particular project. 
What's important is that you be as specific as possible. If your goal is for something to, or if your goal is for something as vague as success, you will have a painfully difficult time trying to harness bottom line thinking to achieve it. One of the things you can do to improve your bottom line thinking is to set aside your personal wants. Instead, try to get to the results you're really looking for, the true essence of the goal. You can also set aside any emotions that may cloud your judgment, and you can remove any politics that may influence your perception. What are you really trying to achieve? When you strip away all the things that don't really matter, what are you compelled to achieve? What must occur? What is acceptable? That is the real bottom line. Choose a major area of your life or career to examine. Then set aside a block of time to determine the bottom line for this area and write it here. What are you really trying to achieve? What this reminds me of is a, a quote. Well, not even really a quote. It probably was a quote and then I forgot it and then all I remembered was the principle behind it. That people want to be happy. They think that their goal is happiness. But happiness is just something you experience for a little while. It's like an emotional state. There are chemicals involved. And then... Ideally, you return to a baseline of just contentment. So rather than hoping to be happy, it might be better to hope for contentment and acceptance and just general peace as your baseline, punctuated with moments, however many, of happiness. Because if you were just being tickled all the time, or if you were just happy, 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 I mean, you'd probably feel like a joke after a while. Like, you can be quietly content to watch the sunrise or something as the first thing you do in the day and then while you're driving you're probably not thinking man i'm so happy that i'm commuting right now but you could be content with the idea that you have a nice car and you're on your way to go do something meaningful and then when you get there maybe somebody tells you something that that makes you feel good and you're like oh i'm really happy that uh that you said that And then you go back to, all right, now I'm going to go do my job and do the thing that I'm here to do. And I feel, I feel all right about how good I am at doing that thing. But you wouldn't say you're happy exactly as happy as when like a dog jumps on you. You just are, you know, driven by your duty and it's a different emotion. So your bottom line doesn't have to be happy, happy all the time. It can just be better than bad, whatever that might be for you content, um, accepting, mm, better than complacent though. That's not really very happy. Thoughts? I find it funny that you brought up the, um, happiness versus being content and how it's probably more important to be content. Um, because I was literally watching going the distance starring Justin Long and Drew Barrymore last night with my friend Celine and there's a scene where they're sitting on a pier and he's talking about how he loves watching the old people and how when they're walking together they don't even they don't even necessarily look happy they just look content with their lives and how he thinks it's more important to be content than to be happy um and then she responds of course with the the best way to be content and happy at the same time is to bury your best friend but that's a whole totally different story because it's a rom-com so naturally i definitely thought that you said bury your best friend i thought that's more <laughs> not very marry um 
but I think there is a certain a certain truth in what you say about being content um, and it's being very different from being complacent. Um, but when you're content with your life, I think there's there's an appreciation there. Obviously, we, we all want more. We're human. But there's also a level in which you get to an, to enjoy just when those happy moments come along um, that are exceedingly happy as opposed to just a level where, yeah, I, I like my life. I have a really good life. You know, I think that's that's something worth saying then. Um, yeah, for the most part, I'm happy. I think there's a certain level in which the contentment outweighs the happiness. Because the other thing I am a very strong believer in is you would not know one without the other. And you would not know happy if you did not know sad. And I think it's very important to appreciate both sadness and happiness. And I think that's where contentment can come into play as the overruling factor there um yeah I mean as for everything else that we've pretty much discussed in the book it's all a matter of understanding what you want and why you're doing what you're doing and that takes a lot of self-reflection and a lot of self-honesty which can be a scary thing and for people who don't understand the concept of like needing contrast to know the existence of one thing or the other. Think about when you breathe most of the time through your nostrils and it's normal. You're just going about your life breathing through your nostrils and then you get sick and then you can't breathe through your nostrils anymore. You're like, what? What is this horrible feeling of trappedness in my own head? Why did I take for granted all those times that I could breathe perfectly normally before? I I swear once I become healthy again, I I will celebrate every day that I have both nostrils to breathe through. And then you get healthy and you don't even notice that you got healthy and you breathe through your nostrils and you don't think anything of it and you tell all your friends how the gas prices going up is is atrocious and everything is going to heck in a handbasket. I mean, somewhere in the background of your awareness, you do get to breathe through your nostrils. So if if you're if you're fortunate enough to recognize that that small blessing is in your life, like think about how many others you have, like you can see through both of your eyeballs. Us people with glasses and contacts lenses, we, we don't always get to do that. <laughs> Uh, you know, if you're able to hear, I, I dated someone for a while who was very happy with her life. She also had hearing impairment and she was able to do all kinds of sort of things. But like, I definitely appreciated my involvement in like musical theater more during the time that I was first getting to know her. Cause I just thought about like how different. Uh, what her skill sets were like she was more of a dancer but she didn't really sing she couldn't even really do ensemble Um, and I've always had like stiff hamstrings so I'm not as much of a dancer uh, compared to what she was able to do but you know I could sing so we all have like our thing that 
we can be happy that we have, but it's very important to recognize that you even have it because you, you might not know that you have it um, when you live with it every day. It's being exposed, like in the pre- one of the previous days, it's being exposed to people who don't have that that reminds you, oh, oh, when I go home tonight, I'm going to be in a building. That's amazing. I'm not going to be in my car or a sleeping bag on the street. Like some people don't even have the sleeping bag on the street. They're just on the street. And you know, we have the option to go to a supermarket to buy food and not just accept what's given to us because that's all we can get. There are so many things like that, less extreme cases, uh, that we can recognize. And that's where I think another, you know, one of the days talked about uh, having a daily practice can help with. Because uh, you can forget how many things are going well and how many things you can be content and grateful and happy about if somebody louder is telling you why things are bad, including yourself. Any other thoughts before we go on to the next one? No, I think you pretty much covered it. Neat. Day 89. Great leaders have a heart for people. They take time for people. They view people as the bottom line, not as a tool to get to the bottom line. Pat Williams. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone whose intentions seem other than stated? Sometimes the situation reflects intentional deception, but it can also occur when the person doesn't know his own bottom line. The same thing happens in companies. Sometimes, for example, an idealistically stated mission and the real bottom line don't jibe. Purpose and profits compete. You must make the bottom line the point. Earlier, I quoted George W. Merck, who stated, We try never to forget that medicine is for the people. It is not for the profits. The profits follow, and if we have remembered that, they have never failed to appear. He probably made that statement to remind those in his organization that profits serve purpose. They don't compete with it. If making a profit were the only real bottom line and helping people merely provided the means for achieving it, the mo- the company would suffer. Its attention would be divided and it would help and it would neither help people as well as it could nor make as much profit as it desired. Continuing with yesterday's thought, now that you have made the bottom line your point of emphasis, not a substitute for another unstated goal or just a step toward it, develop a strategy for accomplishing the bottom line. This reminds me of a quote from Marvel Studios that I'm going to look up. Do you have any thoughts on this? I don't. I don't, unfortunately, because for the most part, I think we've pretty much covered it. Oh. Are you able to think of any examples where going for what you think is oh maybe you can give me tv examples of this um okay there there are shows where they start out having a purpose like family matters or the simpsons where they're trying to show kind of an honest look at family life and it can be a little weird but you know it's it's uh it's at least kind of authentic and then after a while they notice people are watching our show if more people watch our show, we can get more ad revenue. So let's find out what, what it is that they... Oh, they really like that Urkel guy. Let's let's show more Urkel. And now the purpose has gone completely out the window. It's not about solving family conflicts and learning to understand each other's point of view. It's what can the Transformation Chamber do this week that we've never seen it do before. And I think that's one of those cases where their bottom line originally was something 
kind of meaningful and pure. And after a while, you know, prophets persuaded them to deviate from their purpose. I noticed that ha- there's a term called flanderization that happens with characters who start out just being like a little, a little quirky, but then after a while they become completely ridiculous, like Joey from Friends or Eric from Boy Meets World. And they start out just being like, you know, the cool guy. And, you know, sometimes they say like a funny thing. And you're like, well, that's such a weird thing to say. And then after a while you have Eric becomes dances with squirrels and Joey just, I can't even with him. So what are some thoughts that you have on, uh, on how things might start with a certain purpose and then just go off the rails because other priorities seem to take the forefront? I don't even know how to answer that because I got stuck on um, Eric from Boy Meets World because he's my favorite character. So um, anyways, (laughs) um, I do know that it's a very real thing about how you can be led astray from what your original intent was or your original goal was uh, based off of some you know, siren singing in your ear somewhere, whether that be money or social standing or anything along the lines of um, a majority ruling, I guess you can say, or a a majority acceptable uh, character development or however you want to say it. Uh, I do know that it's really, really important to remind yourself where you came from and why you started in the first place and if if you looked back would you recognize the person you were would the person recognize who you are now and would either like each other I think that's really really important I know I have many a times reflected back and been like I don't even recognize who that person was but if I go back another 10 years after that I'm like I remember her what happened to the one in between like I totally remember the one at 16 the one at 26 not so much you know um so I think it's important overall the best thing, which I've said this a couple times now today alone, but I know throughout the book series of our podcast, self-reflection is crucial. Being honest with yourself is crucial um, to understanding where you can go with something. If your goal to become a teacher is to get the recognition, then you're probably not going to succeed the way you want to. Um, Whereas if your goal is to teach one student anything and them to understand it, you're going to probably achieve that goal because it's such a different experience and reason and you're going to see the idea of the selflessness of it is going to be so much more rewarding than the, oh, I just want to be um, treated the way that that person's treated because they, they're they treated like royalty and that's what I want. I mean, that's totally different. Um, 
I mean, and you look at people who have whatever lifestyle you would love to emulate, and you really look at their life, not what you see in pictures or videos or whatever it is that you're looking at. You really see what it is, and you can see how happy and content or how miserable they are. And I look at people like Joe and Rachel who work and work and work and are not afraid to put the time and the energy in and who care about other people and I see what kind of life they have and I see it as very fulfilling and I just hope that in my own way I can find a way to work and earn that same fulfillment and I think that's another big thing is realizing that you're gonna have to put in the effort you're gonna have to put in the time and things aren't just going to be handed to you because you deserve them. Because in my opinion, you don't really deserve anything. You know, it's something that you earn. Yeah, I just saw a clip from an episode of Friends where Monica was a roller skating waitress, I guess, with the the big pads in her chest and the giant hair and when she's thinking about becoming a head chef at um, a restaurant where uh, I guess her boyfriend at the time was offering her position um, I guess they were even just not not boyfriends as opposed uh, opposed to just friends at that time but um, she was talking about how she certainly paid her dues as she pulls one of these pads out of her shirt there's definitely that period of time when you know Uh, the brick walls come up as Randy Pausch would say, and they're not there to keep you out. They're there to keep everyone else out who doesn't want it badly enough. So yeah, if you're just doing it for like the quick, easy social status or whatever, you're going to, you're going to find out pretty quickly. Like, no, there, there are going to be difficult times too. And if you don't want to, if you don't want those as well, then this probably isn't for you. (laughs) I found the quote, by the way, Walt Disney once said, we don't make movies to make money. We make money to make more movies. This is precisely the attitude slash belief I experienced during the year and a half I spent working at Marvel. Scott Derrickson. And then the top comment was, that's why I think Marvel Studios is successful. They make movies to tell stories. And I like that idea of them using the money to make what they actually care about, which is the movie or the storytelling medium. Uh, and if they do make money off of that, well, great. It means a lot of people liked it, but they're going to take that and reinvest it. They're not going to go buy yachts and say, well, we're done with the stories now because we made a lot of money. Day 90. As my clock turns over to 4 o'clock, the scheduled end time of our episode. Day 90. What an immense power over the life... Over the life? What immense power? What an immense power over the life is the power of possessing distinct aims. The voice, the dress, the look, the very motions of a person define and alter when he or she begins to live for a reason. Elizabeth Stuart Phelps. All right, I'm going to muster up my radio voice for this one entry. Now that we are at day 90. All right, here we go. (coughs) Bottom line thinking achieves results. Therefore, it naturally follows that any plans that flow out of such thinking must tie directly to the bottom line, and there can 
be only one main one, not two or three. In organizations, that often means identifying the core elements or functions that must operate properly to achieve the bottom line. This is the leader's responsibility. The important thing is that when the bottom line of each activity is achieved, then the bottom line is achieved. If the sum of the smaller goals doesn't add up to the real bottom line, either your strategy is flawed or you've not identified your real bottom line. Once you have your strategy in place, make sure your people line up with your strategy. Ideally, all team members should know the big goal, as well as their individual role in achieving it. Regardless of your bottom line, you can improve it with good thinking. And bottom line thinking has a great return, because it helps to turn your ideas into results, and to reap the full potential of your thinking. You are the leader of your own life. Think about what your bottom line is, and what you want your legacy to be. Write it down, and strive to focus your thinking toward creating it. Didn't we just cover this? <laughs> For a large fraction of the 90 days. <laughs> uh, any thoughts on making sure your people line up with your strategy? How do you think that uh, different event directors do at bringing in the right team of uh, people with like chemistry and work ethic? Uh, of the ones that you've seen. Have any been especially effective at hitting all the bases and making sure everybody has somebody they can connect to on staff? That is a troublesome answer <laughs> because I think everybody shoots for a different atmosphere. So without directly asking each individual event manager what their bottom line goal was, um, I don't know necessarily how to grade them. And I, th for the most part, what I've seen is, you know, you have a couple people who fit the beginner category very well. They're very good with their beginners. They're great personalities, very welcoming, very uh, friendly and unique. You have your experienced, um, going to push you, challenging uh, level dance teachers. You have the ones in between with youthful energy. Um, you have... Some of those people cover all of those bases. And I think they've done at least, I can honestly say that at least at every single event, I have enjoyed the staff. So I think everybody's done a really good job at finding whatever combination they were looking for. Um, obviously, at some of the bigger events like Windy City and Vegas, you're going to have more staff members there. So you're going to have a chance to relate to different people and more people are going to be able to relate to a variety of people because there is more people to relate to. Whereas, you know, something small like Palm Springs, you know, there's fewer instructors but I still think that, you know, Michael and Michelle have done a great job so far for their first year of bringing in a lot of different personality types for people to relate to. So, I mean, it just really varies. I, don't, I can't say that I've not had a good experience at any one event. I've always enjoyed all of the events I've gone to. Um, as for... Um, oh, I had a thought and then it ran away. 
Yep. Nope. It ran away. What about you? Let me see the book. You see the book. Here you go. Well, kind of similarly to what I said earlier, it's hard to find people who are of that same mindset who both want to provide ideas and also be in there doing the work to make those ideas happen in the nitty-gritty of the lab, willing to go out on the road and do that tour of country bars or whatever it is you'd want to do. So I think it is important to clarify your own mission and find out what it is that you want to do. Uh, and then also, like Tim Ferriss has said with like finding his demographic, find out who you are and what would work in catching your interest. Because if other people are like you, which people probably are, we're not all that unique. Some of us are bizarre, but there are other bizarre people out there. Uh, if you know what would what would make you interested in learning more about something, then see if you can create a package like that for other people because then when they find you, you will be of like minds together. And they will be happy that you used whatever means uh, you needed to bring them into that world rather than feel like that was sneaky. They knew that I was going to be at this event or read this publication and that's how they were able to track me down. But hmm. Megan said clickbait titles. Some, some things work on other people um, better than they would work on myself <laughs> or I guess you because uh, we know what to look for now. But there are some things like, okay, for example, like if there's a dance that comes out and somebody just posts a copper knob link, I'm probably not going to click it. There are way too many for me to click on all of them. But if somebody comes out with a video and it's interesting, like Rebecca has done so many times, uh, I will watch that video just for the sake of watching the video. Whether or not I learn the dance is immaterial. Like, I took me, I don't know, however long it was between her releasing Chunky and like two weeks ago to actually learn it. But I still watch the video because it's a it's like a split screen of her with herself and they're both dancing it. And that was amazing. So of course I watched it and like, that's the kind of thing that would work on me as it turned out. Um, because we like doing unusual things and I have some experience with video editing. We did a video of our own for can't walk away. And maybe some of the people who wanted to learn it watched that video because it was what appealed to them the way Rebecca's videos appealed to us. So did you find your thought? I did. It was the idea about bringing like-minded people together. Um, it's really easy to bring like-minded people together. It's a whole nother thing to bring people that are going to challenge your thinking in a positive way. And actually take action I know we've had several conversations about how we have other friends around us that share the similar thinking we do they want to do this they want to be a part of this for the rest of their lives they want the bigger picture of what line dancing could be and yet they don't take the actions to make things happen whereas you and I are like hey Sure, why not? I'd rather be like, oh, well, that didn't work out according to plan than wonder what if. Um, 
And I do know that there's been times where I've struggled with something and you threw out an idea and I went, oh, I love it. Let's do it. And then just recently, the opposite had happened. I I had given you a reason that I was thinking of for going to a particular event and you jumped on board with it because you liked that idea. Um, it was a different change of pace for you. And so I think there's a really good way of finding like-minded people that will take action and just making sure you do what you can to keep cultivating those ideas together. I think it's also important to celebrate and appreciate them when you do have them because the alternative, if you, let's say, you know, you're talking to a person and they've got all these ideas and you think, oh, wow, it's another person like me. And then you ask them two months later, okay, so what have you done uh, in these these fields that we've talked about? And they say, oh, yeah, nothing, nothing. uh, I thought about it, but I did nothing. And then you get disappointed and you think that they did wrong in some way because your expectations on them were not what they could live up to. And that's not fair to them. They have lives. They have to do what they need to do. And just because we have certain freedoms um, due to our schedules and we're able to do things, that doesn't mean everybody else can. So rather than look at people as letting you down when they can't be what you would like them to be, when you do have people in your life who are willing to stay up later at the night that you're hosting um, and keep the night going with their requests, for example, or meet you at a, a bar that's a long drive for them or for you, but you know, you're know you willing to do it because you only see each other like once a month or three months or however often, celebrate those people because they're not that common. And if they are, then you probably live in Florida or you're just very lucky. Um <laughs> We have a small handful of people like that, and they can't do everything. There's there's one who can go to the, the bar that's closest to him, but he can't go to events. So we're very happy to see him when he goes to that bar. And then there are people who can uh, you know, learn dances that, that we post, but you know, we, don't, we don't see them outside of that area at all. They pretty much stay in that area. So they'll take the world's knowledge and bring it there, but we would love to, you know, for them to see the world. And maybe they'll get to that point someday. Uh, if they don't, then at least, you know, at least we are similar enough in wanting to pull in all this information from everywhere that we can connect on that level. Yeah, there, there's there's something like us in all those people and we can be very happy to have found that in them rather than say, well, there's nobody quite like us. So we're just alone in the universe. Yeah. To elaborate a little bit further on where I was going. Um, Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's important to acknowledge what people can do. uh, But there's also something to be said about, like you said, like all these ideas that you used to have that you used to be able to talk with the particular people, but like reflecting back with the chances of you guys have ever acting on those were slim until all of you separated and now all of you are doing your own thing, but somehow still in the realm of line dance. So I think it's, I think it's interesting on how people can relate. Uh, one of the other things 
I think is very important is you obviously need to have your goals and your priorities in line together. Line. <laughs> yes, line. Funny. <laughs> Accidental pun. Um, they need to be focused together. However, it is also extremely important to realize that inspiration can come outside of what you're doing. And so it's important not to just let go of any friendships or um, any relationships or prog- uh, progress uh, projects that may be outside of what your initial priority is. Um, because there's a reason why you formed the friendships you formed. And although, yes, there are many things to talk about when it comes to like letting go of toxic people or um, indifferent people in your lives and it's a time and a place for things. But it's also very important to remember that like at one point you and this person were on the same page and there's still things that you can learn from one another. So not just to write off a friendship um, or a job or something like that, just because it may not directly line up, line up with your goal, but it's also important not to sacrifice your goal for that particular friendship or job or project or whatever. Yeah, it's definitely be some, been something I've been looking at as far as um, you know my next job, whatever it might be, <clears throat> because I don't think I'm going to be singing and playing the guitar into retirement. But whatever it is I do next, I would want it to connect back to line dance in some way and be of benefit to those people. Like if I work with an airline, maybe I can get people cheaper flights. Or if I work with a hotel chain, maybe I can get people discount on room blocks. Something like that. Uh, Being an activity director or like a, a conference manager or an event manager of that kind, being a public speaker, there's always something I can take away from one of those kinds of jobs that I can then bring into line dance and share in a way that's not necessarily just choreography or instruction. And that's what I hope to find in whatever it is I do next without having it look like I'm just, oh, well, he's not doing dance, so he abandoned it. Like he 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 knew that he couldn't cut it as a pure dancer, so that's why he's not going on Broadway. That's why he's going to become like an accountant or whatever um, that isn't a dancer. Well, you know, there's a, there's a lot of money that changes hands in the dance world and maybe being a good accountant or a creative tax planner or whatever it is that you might need to be um, can help those people because all these people are not just dancers. They all go back home and do other things. So if I can develop a skill set outside of dance that they can then take home and apply in a non-dance way, like if I were to teach a, a course in how to use Spotify or something, then yes, it absolutely helps them uh, with dance, but then they can also go home and just listen to music and make playlists and share those with their friends. And that doesn't have to have anything to do with dance. It can just be, you know, songs that they want their kid to listen to as they're going to sleep, you know, to remind them of home, whatever, you know. Um, and I, I can hopefully, you know, find a way that anything relates to lion dance, regardless of what job I choose. But I would hope that it would have the greatest impact possible, whatever my choice ends up being. Which is kind of a good way to bring it around full circle. Everything is line dance. Yeah. As we have concluded day 90 of the 90-day 
improvement plan that is Jumpstart Your Thinking. Thank you all for bearing with us in these last two hours and 11 minutes, as well as the last um, 90-ish kind of days, or six months, depending on how you're counting it, uh, of this book. Uh, this has been Christopher Gonzalez and Megan Barcelia on Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio. We thank you for listening, and until next time, we will see, see you on, on the, the dance, dance floor. floor.